Everyone, remain calm. And welcome to the 94th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we've got some news to go over. I'll relay the events from the most recent fan meetup at the exhibition in Philly. We've got a brand new segment coming to you called Chaos Theories. Now, in this segment, our informant, Travis Stevens, tracks down some of the most interesting and reliable fan theories out there at the moment. It's super secretive, so make sure nobody else is around when you're listening to this one. In the first installment, he takes a look at just exactly where Claire and her sister Karen may have come from. Seriously, don't miss this one. After that, we'll take a look at the prologue to a dino-themed book by author Ethan Pettis called Primitive War. He handed out samples of the prologue during the exhibition, and I feel like it's going to be right up your alley. And finally, to wrap up the episode, we'll jump into the audio segment and hear from paleontologist Jack Horner, where Jay Jurassic and I ask him a few questions at the exhibition. You'll only get his exclusive answers here. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to give you a heads up. I recently started another podcast called Never Offline. It's myself and co-host Chris Vuno, where we bring each other new topics and don't let each other know what the topics are until we hit record. Each episode is about 20 minutes long, and we debut two episodes a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's a pretty ridiculous podcast, so please go download it, subscribe, and review the podcast. Even if you don't want to listen, I don't care, just just go give it five stars and uh, help us out with that review. We'd really appreciate it. I'm telling you, it's the dumbest podcast you'll ever hear. Don't forget we have a special promo code available to listeners of the podcast to use for Jurassic World The Exhibition currently in its final weeks. Head to fi.edu or call the museum at 215-448-1200 to purchase tickets and use the code JWG. E-N-E-R to get $5 off daytime adult admission tickets to Jurassic World The Exhibition. Now this is limited to four tickets per person. It does include general admission to the Franklin Institute and it cannot be combined with any other offer or discount. Upgrades are available on site for the IMAX and 3D theaters. It is redeemable online, over the phone, or at the ticketing desk. Processing fees do apply when ordering your tickets in advance. Now it does exclude holidays, but it is valid through April 19th, 2017. It's coming up on the end here, folks. Again, the promo code is J-W-G-E-N-E-R. Use it and let us know when you do. It's a packed episode, so why don't we get things started off with a bit of Jurassic news from around the world. 18 minutes and your company catches up on 10 years of research. Access rate program. Access security. These pictures were taken in hospital in Costa Rica 48 hours ago. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. Boy, my head being right all the time. But today, I guarantee it. 
There's a great video making the rounds right now featuring a bit of Jurassic parkour. In the video you can see Kaylin Chan dressed as Owen being chased by the all familiar T-Rex blow up suit with Ninja Nate inside parkouring all around the actual Indominus Rex paddock and Kualua Ranch in Hawaii. It's shot really well and features some great moves by the duo. You won't want to miss them trouncing around all the familiar locations so head to our show notes where we've posted the video for your enjoyment. Another tale from Michael Crichton is making its way to the big screen. For this film, one of the directors from the upcoming Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales, director Joachim Roning, will be directing the adaptation of Crichton's novel Micro. Here's a synopsis from Amazon. In the vein of Jurassic Park, this high-concept thriller follows a group of graduate students lured to Hawaii to work for a mysterious biotech company only to find themselves cast out into the rainforest with nothing but their scientific expertise and their wits to protect them. An instant classic, Micro pits nature against technology in vintage Crichton fashion. Completed by visionary science writer Richard Preston, this boundary-pushing thriller melds scientific fact with pulse-pounding fiction to create yet another masterpiece of sophisticated, cutting-edge entertainment. So obviously, just from that description, there's a ton of similar traits to Jurassic Park. So this is going to be an exciting time for fans of Crichton and Jurassic Park. Now, the film is being produced by Frank Marshall, so there's another thing in common. Ronin, who directed the upcoming Pirates of the Caribbean film, has been getting a lot of praise for returning the franchise to form, so it'll be interesting to see if he can bring some of that Spielberg vibe to the film. Anyway, head to our show notes to find a link to the article on THR.com. Jurassic World Regenesis is back with Chapter 3. It's a great chapter that dives into some more backstory with Dr. Wu and his old friend Kate. We get to see a few really cool cameos from community members. You may actually see a cameo from yours truly. Thanks, Jack. It's another great addition to the ongoing series, so head to our show notes to find a link to Chapter 3. Now, if you haven't done Chapters 1 and 2 yet, make sure to hit them up first. And also, if you haven't heard our chat with one of the creators, Jack Ewins, make sure to listen to Episode 87 to learn more about Jurassic World Regenesis. So I'm sure you've all seen and heard Chris Pratt's ongoing Instagram series, What's My Snack? Well, this past week, Chris Pratt posted a group shot of himself, Bryce Dallas Howard, and the costuming department showing off their What's My Snack shirts they created to wear around the set of the new Jurassic World sequel. But the more important aspect of this picture is the fact that Pratt is sitting atop a Triumph motorcycle. Now, it seems to be the same model motorcycle from Jurassic World with a brand new paint job. So could Owen be riding around an all-black Triumph bike this time around? Maybe it's a bike that he rides around the mainland instead of the island. It's certainly in much better condition than the last bike he rode, so maybe he isn't riding around that jungle anymore. Anyway, it could be nothing at all, but what kind of fan community would we be if we didn't infer a ton from a single picture? For now, head to our show notes to see a picture of Pratt and the crew in their What's My Snack shirts and the new motorcycle. Now, this one might be considered slightly spoilery if you don't want to know anything about any dinosaurs coming to the sequel film. I'll give you a second to grab your phone, you know, hit that fast forward button, turn it off, unplug the headphones, whatever you want to do if you don't want to hear. Ready? So thanks to at IKKViper on Twitter as he took a photo of his young daughter sleeping while holding a stuffed dino version of the Rex from Jurassic World. He asked Colin Trevorrow, at Colin Trevorrow, at Film Bayona, at Bryce D. Howard, 
Can you confirm or deny Rexy making an appearance in hashtag JW2? She's my daughter's favorite. To which Colin responded, Confirmed. Tell her when she wakes up. So there you have it, folks. Rexy will return. I don't think there was any real question for most of us. We kind of assumed for a while here on the podcast. It's just a matter of how she will be used. Personally... I think it's going to be a send-off. I've said it here before, but uh, I really imagine being in tears after leaving the theater in 2018. Rexy has been a pivotal part of the series, and she is getting up there in age, and while we don't really know how a genetically engineered dinosaur ages, I bet you it's not going to be much longer. I really honestly think it's the only route. We'll see if this comes true or not, but for now, I've posted the tweet in our show notes for you to all take a look. Oh, there it is. There it is. Closest you will ever come to living dinosaurs. Jurassic World, the exhibition. Now in its final weeks at the Franklin Institute, based on one of the biggest blockbusters in cinema history. Don't miss this awe-inspiring event for the whole family. Only at the Franklin Institute. For tickets, visit fi.edu. And remember, if something chases you, run. Claire. Seven o'clock tomorrow night on the East Dock. Make sure he gets it right. But it's alive! And everyone on the planet's going to line up to appreciate it and everything done. People would say they could see the fleas. Oh, I could see the fleas. Mommy, can't you see the fleas? Are, are these characters uh, auto-erotic? So back on April 2nd, I went out to the Jurassic World exhibition in Philly for the third time. I went out to opening day, then followed that up with an awesome gathering of podcasters from our show and some more back in January. And this time Universal, along with the Jurassic Outpost, held a meetup filled with all kinds of events for the day. So after driving out to Philly for the day, we all met up on the stairs at the Franklin Institute to take some Save the Dinos protest pictures. It was really fun seeing all the signs that people brought and held up for the pictures. Um, From there on, we moved downstairs into a movie theater. It wasn't the IMAX theater upstairs because apparently Universal had an issue bringing over the IMAX 3D copy of Jurassic World, but instead they brought us to a theater downstairs and surprised everybody with Jurassic Park in 3D. Shout out to Aaron Beyer, contributor of the podcast, for bringing that version of the film to life. That's awesome. So we watched Jurassic Park in 3D, and uh, I think I'll blame it on the theater because it wasn't too dark in there which I think caused the film to be a little hard to see during the dark scenes. We all know there's a ton of dark scenes in that film. You know, with the 3D glasses on, it created this kind of haze over the film. Um, There was actually windows in the theater. They weren't fully covered, which was strange. So I think that was the main culprit for it not looking 100%. But anyway, after the film, Jack Horner was brought out for a quick Q&A featuring some questions from Twitter, the Outpost, and the people at the event. It was a pretty quick Q&A, but it gave everybody plenty of time to meet up with Jack Horner afterwards to ask their own questions, to get him to sign stuff, take pictures. Uh, But also during that meet and greet session, there was a raptor brought out for everybody to take pictures with. It was operated by some really fun people who interacted well with the guests. I was hanging around uh, during that time with Jay Jurassic, Jennifer Tarek, Josh Evans for most of that. Uh, we took some pictures with the Raptor and then, of course, headed up to meet Jack Horner. Uh, we asked him a few questions, actually, which you'll hear a little bit later. Uh, the whole period of time was actually pretty long with no breaks. So after that, the four of us rushed upstairs to the food court to indulge in some hot dog sandwiches. 
Uh, yeah, that's awkward, but if you've been to the museum, that would make maybe a little bit more sense. But from there, we went up to the exhibition all together. I won't bore you with the details, you've heard it here before a bunch of times. Um, but after the tour, Universal surprised everybody with basically a cocktail hour in the train exhibit. I don't know if you've been there before, but there's a massive train downstairs. It's really cool. Um, they did provide us with, with food and drinks uh, for everybody to get the chance to mingle around and hang out, take pictures, swap stories. Uh, that was probably the best part of the event because prior to that, there wasn't a lot of time to hang out and chat with everybody. But anyway, overall, I think it was a really cool event and Universal and the Outpost did a great job putting it together. Also, a big thanks to Jaroslav for putting together that awesome Lost World 20th anniversary print featuring the Rex and the InGen vehicles. You know, that poster is pretty legit and I can't wait to frame it and hang it. Uh, yeah, he gave them out to people at the end of the exhibition there that were hanging out still. So if you were lucky enough to be there at the end, you got one of these awesome posters. Uh, you can see it in our show notes this week. Head over to our Instagram to see it as well. You know, meetups are really fun, and after two meetups this year at the exhibition, I'd say it's a pretty good time to be a Jurassic Park fan. Mommy's very angry. This is in the pit and snake man. No, I'm, I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Is that good? You find it. Fantastic. Just the parts they didn't like. I believe I've spent enough time in the company of death. Hang on, this is going to be bad. So while at the exhibition, Ethan Pettis, author of the upcoming novel Primitive War, handed out a little pamphlet containing the prologue to his novel and some awesome images from the story. It features some really cool cover art of uh, dinosaur bones attacking a human bones, and the human is actually clutching at the dinosaur's neck. It's pretty cool stuff. Now, from the information inside, Primitive War is the first novel in the trilogy that's coming out starting this month, April 2017. Here's a synopsis read from the back. At the height of the Vietnam War, a search and rescue team known as Vulture Squad is sent to an isolated jungle to uncover the fate of a missing Green Beret platoon. As they hunt through the primordial depths of the valley, they discover horrors that not only threaten to unravel their minds, but end their lives as well. As the casualties mount, the men of the Vulture Squad must abandon their human nature and give in to their savage instincts to survive. The Primitive War. So the prologue is about six pages, and as you just heard, it's set during the Vietnam War. So here's a quick excerpt from the setting. Prologue. September 23rd, 1968. Vietnam's natural splendor was plagued by war. Peaceful jungles were transformed into hellish labyrinths where soldiers lost their minds and lives to horrific firefights. Fear and paranoia pulled apart the threads of human morality. The Tet Offensive, the Viet Cong, and the North Vietnamese armies, biggest push against the American forces in the southern Vietnam, set entire cities ablaze. Massacres were committed every day by both American forces and Viet Cong. Many miles north of this conflict, beyond the demilitarized zone that separated North and South Vietnam, lay an ancient jungle valley seemingly untouched by the violence. An ocean of thick treetop canopy blanketed the rolling hills within the valley. A slithering black river bisected the floodplains of the basin and reflected the luminous moon of a starlit night. Heavy clouds slumped over the cragged mountain peaks and drifted down the slopes. So I'm loving this setting so far. It's easily identifiable and certainly sets up the drama around this untouched area. Now, here's a bit that sets up the drama inside that jungle. 
When Kendrick's platoon first marched into this obscure valley, they had been so sure of themselves. They thought their mission was just another walk through the park, evading Via Kong and dangerous wildlife. That was until the first of his 12-man platoon had died. The first man to die was taken at night. Kendrick had awoken to find his friend Maynard missing in action. All he could find left of his squad mate was a few ragged bits of skin and a trail of blood leading deeper into the wilderness. It happened to another man the following night, and again the night after that. So yeah, it's uh, not starting out good for this group, and uh, guess what, it gets worse. Without giving too much away, here's an excerpt from the source of their chaos. There was a flash of lightning, and he saw the silhouette of a creature reflected on the water's surface. It was heavily distorted, but Kendrick could clearly see the outline of the animal's body. It was taller than a man, with a straight tail and muscular limbs. The creature raised its long snout, sniffing the air. The hooked claws flicked in anticipation. The creature's jaws parted into a toothy, rumbling snarl. Alright, so that's all I'll give you. I'm certainly interested in reading the whole thing, but uh, this was just a bit from the prologue. There's some really cool artwork inside to inform the readers. Uh, there's several feathered dinosaurs, they look awesome and terrifying, and then there's these soldiers who look like they're, yeah, in quite a pickle. I'll make sure to grab some more information for you soon. I'm trying to get Ethan here on the podcast to give you some more information. Stay tuned for that, hopefully soon. Thanks again, Ethan. I'm looking forward to more, and I'll make sure to include all the links to Primitive War in our show notes. Folks, here we go. It's time to hear from our informant in the new segment, Chaos Series. Welcome to the very first episode of Chaos Theories. My name is Travis Stevens, and I'll occasionally be your guide in the wildest jungles of Jurassic franchise fan theory. InGen's been trying to track me down for years, and I've got to keep on the move, so let's get this started. On a recent episode, a fellow fan posited the theory that Ellie Sattler may in fact be the mother of Claire Deering and her temporarily married sister, Karen Mitchell. Brad and Jennifer shut down this theory pretty quickly, but I think you guys may have missed some important supporting facts. As you observed, Ellie Sattler is not a mother as of Jurassic Park circa 1993. In Jurassic Park 3, set in 2001, she is the mother of two young children, neither of whom is Claire or Karen. Based on this information and the standard flow of time, I completely agree that Claire and her sister cannot be the product of Ellie's relationship with her glaringly non-grant State Department husband, Mark Degler. But did you completely forget about Wu? (laughs) Wu clearly has a desire to play God and is extremely confident in his abilities. In Jurassic World, he boldly claims that nothing in Jurassic Park is natural. Notice that he said nothing. None of Jurassic World would exist without him. Maybe not even Claire. 
which leads me to posit the following theory. Claire Deering and her sister Karen Mitchell, nay Deering, were cloning experiments created by Wu. I won't trouble you with too many details, but in Wu's overzealous attempts to master the secrets of life itself as a modern-day Frankenstein, he genetically created Claire and Karen. To put it short, I am 100% sure that, number one, Wu gathered DNA samples of Grant and Sattler from the tour they took with Hammond, Malcolm, and Gennaro. A few hairs from those theater seats would have sufficed. Maybe Wu risked gathering their bloody and torn clothing after the Isla Nublar incident. Even Wu wanted to see Ellie and Alan together. Number two. Wu created two separate humans, Claire and Karen, from this material. How do we know? They're both female. Everything created for Jurassic Park is free and female. It's really not that complicated. It's just about denying what... <laughs> well, I won't bore you. Wu also designed them with a gene for accelerated growth, allowing them to reach adulthood and even parenthood in the span of time between Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Number three. After successfully bringing the fertilized embryos to infancy, Wu himself raised these human creations using a rubber Ellie Sattler puppet to simulate the essential natural interactions between the young and their mother. Remember, nothing in Jurassic World is natural. This explains why Claire has so much trouble letting go and relating to others in truly relaxed, natural human interactions. Also, Claire's obsession with white is clearly a reflection of her love for the sterile lab environment that she grew up in. It's where she's most comfortable. Four. Other facts. Think about Claire and Karen's name, Deering. If you take off the D and replace it with an R, you get Rearing, as Wu obviously reared Claire and Karen in his lab. Why the D? Because D is for dinosaur. So you see, Ellie Sattler is, biologically speaking, clearly Claire's mother. And everyone can now adjust their canon accordingly. Oh, I think I just heard some aggressive SUVs pull up outside. Until next time, this was Travis Stevens with Chaos Theories. in the audio segment, we'll hear from Jack Horner as he answers my question about surviving the kitchen scene with the two raptors, and then you'll hear Jay Jurassic ask him about his thoughts on bringing these creatures back into existence. Let's take a listen. For a podcast? Alright, so it's a question I ask everybody on a podcast. I say, um, if you're stuck in a kitchen with a velociraptor, what are you going to do? Are you going to make it out alive? Yeah, we're all the if you're in a kitchen with uh, two velociraptors, yep, just like the movie, yeah, just like the movie, and you're a little kid, no, just you, oh, specifically just you, right just now, me. are you gonna make it? No, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, that's not. pretty much the standard answer. Everybody yeah. has a hard time coming up with something. 
You know, hiding, hiding behind the... Like, all these people... Nope, don't come We're not fitting in, like, you know, a little uh, thing, and, nope. you know, nope. it's not happening. Yeah, I... Unless he gets his, you know, his foot stuck in the colander and can't walk. <laughs> Just, yeah, throw, throw like, you know, <laughs> knives and, and, you know, spatulas at it. I think that might work. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't Lodged in a throat, maybe. Uh, I didn't survive that question either. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're, you yeah. might as well just, you know, Just give up, just let it happen. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Do you have a question? Um, I was going to ask, um, you have heard that, like, uh, you're trying to bring back mammoths, and since you're doing the chicken, chicken sores, like, what do you... I think we should bring back anything we can bring back. I think we should make anything we can make. Um, all for it? All for it. Yeah, absolutely. Do it. You don't listen to Malcolm. <laughs> no, Malcolm. That didn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> awesome. I don't have anything to sign. So, Jack, uh, much like everybody else, it doesn't really seem like you're going to get out of there alive. Uh, that was a great answer. I was so glad to ask it. Plus, it's great to hear his response to Jay Jurassic's question. Let's bring all the creatures back. It seems like Jack is more of a, uh, a Hammond or a Wu than a Grant or a Malcolm, which is funny because most of Grant's character was actually based off Jack Horner. Anyway, thanks again to Jack for signing some of our stuff and for answering the questions. Make sure to visit JurassicParkPodcast.com to find all our past episodes, brand new news articles, information on how to contact us, and much more. It's a great source for everything related to the podcast, and of course, Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. Head to JurassicParkPodcast.com and help us build a great community. Anybody hear that? Thanks for listening to the 94th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Of course, a huge thanks to Travis Stevens for debuting a new segment. I am so happy to finally bring you this segment, and I know Travis has even more content coming your way in the future. Stay safe out there, Travis. We wouldn't want you getting caught tracking down any of those leads. Also, please don't forget to subscribe, listen, and give my new podcast, Never Offline, a five-star review. We'd really appreciate the backing of you, the awesome listeners here. This podcast has a huge listenership, so I'd love if all all of you helped out with my new one. Don't forget about the promo code that we're running with the Franklin Institute for Jurassic World The Exhibition. Enter the code JWGENER to get $5 off daytime adult admission tickets. Don't forget to share that code with your friends and family. Tell them where you got it and let us know when you use it. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter at Jurassic Park Pod. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Podcast, and our Instagram handle is at Jurassic Park Podcast. You can listen to us via iTunes, Google Play, Podomatic, YouTube, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star review in iTunes or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. It will seriously help out our rankings and make it easier for fans like you to find us. We're usually spotted commenting on the Jurassic Park subreddit as Jurassic Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com for all the links you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, comments, 
Or if you want to debut a segment of your own, just like Travis, send them to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Or you could submit questions directly on our website contact form. If you'd like to record something for the show, send it in to us and we'll feature it in an upcoming episode. If you don't have any way to record, you can give our voicemail line a call and leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.